Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Today, we have on the podcast, Terry Lynn. Terry is the host of Build My Online Store, a popular podcast for e-commerce entrepreneurs with downloads in over 100 countries. He helps aspiring and upcoming e-commerce entrepreneurs grow their online stores by interviewing other successful entrepreneurs, industry experts, and thought leaders to learn from their mistakes, knowledge, and experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Terry. Hey, thanks for having me here, Francis. Could you tell us a bit more about how you got into the e-commerce space? Sure. Uh, so I run a website called Build My Online Store, and uh, there's a podcast I also run uh, where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs on how they built their online stores. So uh, these guests usually have revenues from around 50K to around 10 million annually. Uh, some of them have been on ABC, Shark Tank, and the good thing is that these are real businesses out there in the real world. Uh, so you get a broad spectrum of what works and what doesn't from real businesses online. And so uh, I got into this kind of whole space, uh, kind of, I guess, back when I was in college, uh, I needed some ways to make extra money. And so if you remember physics, like chemistry, science textbooks, they're really expensive in school. And so in the U.S., uh, they typically sell for about maybe $100 to $120. And at the end of every semester, uh, when I was a student, the school bookstore would buy it back from students for 20 or 30. And they would sell it used for, say, 70 or 80. Right? And so there's a big gap into what the school pockets and resells. And so around early 2000s, this was when Amazon started coming online too. Right? And so what I did was I would buy these textbooks from my classmates for $25, $30. And I would even go to the library and buy like used books and I would post them on Amazon. And then uh, each textbook, you can make like $30 or $40. It was just great margins. And then uh, after school, you know, I got a job that did the whole, you know, you know, get a job, office job, desk job thing. And then around 2001, I kind of had an epiphany in a hospital and realized that uh, really just building your own business uh, online is the way to go. And so since uh, 2011 and, you know, the early 2000s when I was in e-commerce, uh, the landscape has kind of changed a lot since back then eBay and Amazon were really the big players and they were still really big too. So I wanted to find a way where I could kind of get updated with the latest information from people out there in the world. And during this time, I found a show by Andrew Warner called Mixergy, uh, kind of within the whole online mediapreneur world. You have like the Lifestyle Business Podcast, all these other shows. So Mixergy, what Andrew did was he interviews like Paul Graham, Y Combinator, kind of VC, tech entrepreneur space guys. And he also has SaaS companies, software startups, copywriters, and e-commerce people. And so uh, I, I basically took that concept, applied it to e-commerce, and I niched it down because I realized kind of there was no one really doing this in the iTunes space yet, kind of in the early 2012. So uh, this was a great channel just for me to learn what was working and what wasn't and kind of how I can apply it to my own store uh, that's in the works now and kind of for an audience uh, that wants to start a store, you can learn uh, what happens kind of out there in the world. And also for the store owner who's a guest, uh, they get more exposure uh, on iTunes for the business. So it's a win-win-win for everyone, and that's kind of where we are right now. And uh, since then, it's turned into some consulting now, specifically uh, mainly for two types of people. Uh, one is kind of people that have offline product businesses that are looking to go online, but they don't really know where to start since there's a lot of tools and channels online to do your sales and marketing. And then second, uh, just people just getting in the game and need some help uh, getting in the right direction. Great, that's a wonderful story. Um, since you've been in this e-commerce space or and have interviewed a lot of people, what changes do you see over the years 
in the space? I guess 10 years ago, uh, basically you only had what, Drupal, uh, Yahoo Store, Amazon, and eBay were kind of your main platforms. And I guess there's some other hosted ones, but basically it costed so much just to get these platforms developed for, as a solo entrepreneur, right? It would cost maybe somewhere from 50000 to who knows where just for a custom developer. And now you see the SaaS platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce, where it's becoming very, very cheap and very easy to start a store now. Like Shopify, this year they launched uh, a starter plan, a starter plan, which is basically fourteen dollars a month to get an online store. And but the only thing is that you can't customize the HTML, CSS. It's basically you can just install a theme and you can test the product right away. And so one, the platform has become cheaper to get. Uh, an idea out there just to get launched. And then two, uh, you also have the whole crowdfunding platform from Kickstarter and kind of Indiegogo. So uh, these platforms, you can just post projects uh, where you have want to sell either concepts or prototypes you have. And then basically it's a great way that you can test your idea to see if the market will buy it, right? Because if people will donate you $20, $30 or more just for your product already before it's made, uh, the risk for you as an entrepreneur to put your own money down for the first run is very low. And so basically you can grow a business off Kickstarter, see if it hits or doesn't hit, you know, a very low risk way. And then once you're on, you know, move it to a Shopify big commerce store and keep growing it from there. So the barriers to entry have gotten really low now. And, you know, what's missing is great ideas, great products, and great shopping experiences. Oh, and and also, I guess the sourcing game is a lot more transparent now, too. So, uh, you know, back then, you didn't have sites like Alibaba, which Alibaba still has some scammers on there. You have to be careful, and you really have to pick a good supplier. But in terms of transparency... Uh, there's there's a tool someone told me called uh, Pangeva.com. And Pangeva is a tool that connects to the U.S. customs database uh, that when they import goods from China all over the world, and what happens is you need to fill out a manifest that says where this product came from, what's in this container, and you know which company is it from. And basically this service links to this database and it's a business intelligence tool. So basically you can just Google into this uh, site. You know, you type refrigerators and it'll tell you what are the latest shipments that came in the U.S. from China and from which area in China. And then you can kind of guesstimate which suppliers. Or you can kind of reverse engineer a supply chain. And the thing about China is that uh, each city kind of has their own specialty. So, you know, Shenzhen is like electronics, uh, kind of some low-end uh, s- smartphone type of hardware gear. And then, you know, you have like steel in northern China. So basically you have different clusters uh, because back then, Manufacturing this way was more efficient, right? If you think about it, I was going to make a pair of jeans. Uh, you know, I have someone that dyes the cloth, someone that makes the zipper, someone that sews the buttons. If you had them all within the same city, you just pass it to your neighbor in the factory down the line. And so basically, these cities specialize in certain types of products. And then uh, there's this map uh, I can send you later. It basically has, you know, which area makes, you know, shoes, which area makes uh, pants, which areas makes you know, mixers or, you know, refrigerator equipment. So basically you can just reverse engineer a supply chain now too if you really need to look for suppliers. And the game has become much more transparent versus say 10, 15 years ago. So this Pangeva tool, is it more for someone who is looking to get into the e-commerce space or is it for the end user? Uh, It's kind of more of someone looking to source products, but you want to kind of just do some business intelligence. So, I mean, it's I think it's like 100 bucks a month. It's, It's not that cheap, but basically... Uh, from what I've heard, it's just like a good research tool, in a sense. Okay, that's that's a really interesting tool that I will definitely check out. Mm, the reason why I'm asking is, well, with a lot of goods coming out from China and all that, there is a real problem with 
trying to uh, reassure your customers that your goods are of a certain quality. So this having access to a better source of goods would really help with that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the quality thing ties to, I guess there's one, if it's the end, qual- end product you're making, is it of high quality? I mean, can they come out of China? Yes. And then there's the other side where if your supplier gives you bad quality product. And what happened was a lot of store owners who get into the China sourcing game, what they end up doing is they price shop different suppliers, right? So for example, if I'm making jeans, I'll ask three suppliers, I'll pit them against each other. And then, uh, or maybe I'll do it later in my second or third production run. And then my supplier finds out and he starts sending me bad quality product. And the reason is that remember when they're in a manufacturing city, like there's only like 10 people that make jeans and they all know each other within, you know, they're like neighbors. So if someone, if you hop around pretty obviously, they'll be like, hey, why is your customer talking to me? And then they'll just start undercutting you on quality and kind of uh, giving you problems there too. So that's something uh, that's happened a lot. And, uh, you know, because I think, I think when people first get into products in China, they have this mentality that uh, everything is cheap there and, you know, I just got to find the cheapest one and I don't really care about building a relationship uh, with a supplier there. So Great. What are some of the major issues you see with e-commerce conversions, having interviewed so many e-commerce shop owners? Sure. So... Number one, uh, I think, well, I guess I had six that came up in my mind. So I guess I could just go through uh, each of these. Does that sound good? I thought, well, this is more of the, the problems, I guess. The biggest issue most people think is they they put on a store or they put out, they, they start a store, they put on their products and then they, all it has is just pictures and maybe like three lines of text and the about us page is very weak. And then they complain that they have no sales. And then when they tell me to look at the store, I'm like, well, so why should I buy from you? I mean, there's, I, there's, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know your story. Uh, there's no, you know, social proof. There's no testimonials, no customer reviews. And basically, I think this problem comes from a big picture, not really the conversion problem, but a big picture strategy issue where I think a lot of people just think, you know, you can just put on a store with pictures and then you, you'll be like a millionaire the next day. Whereas, you know, you really have to spend time thinking about uh, why people need to buy from you, you know, what makes your products different and how you can actually create a great shopping experience. Because, you know, when you're buying stuff online, you're thinking about, well, can I trust this store? You know, do I really want to pay for this or that? You know, what do other people think? You know, it's it's very natural process we all go through. But a lot of people just think they can just shortcut this and just, you know, instantly start a store and make money right away. Well, based on my experience... It is possible to just slap on a store and make money right away. Oh, but yeah. Perhaps, perhaps not now, but that was the case several years ago, maybe five to seven years ago, where a lot of markets don't have any competition. So you can just slap on any Yahoo store, even a simple landing page, and you will sell. Yeah. But I think now with you know everything social media and everyone knows, I guess, I guess everyone's smarter on the internet now versus five, ten years ago. So people are more kind of like, okay, do I really want to buy from this guy or do I, or can I just buy it somewhere else? Because right? we have more choices too. So I, I guess it's kind of because the, the consumer is getting more sophisticated too. And, you know, I'm sure some niche sites work too, but I think if you're going to build something long-term that really, you know, has a brand value, sustainable business, uh, you know, you got to look at a bigger picture. So I guess you have talked to a lot of these e-commerce shop owners and they've asked you to look at their stores and... Do you see a lot of instances in your experience where shop owners don't have a good value proposition and they still manage to be in business? Uh, yes, yes. There's actually one really great example. So uh, there's a store called Diamond Candles. Uh, they recently switched to platform off of Shopify. When they were still on Shopify, all they had 
they they had no sales copy. They just had a one-liner. It was just basically organic candles that had a ring on the bottom, and the ring inside could be worth anywhere from ten dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars to five thousand U.S. dollars. Basically, it was this lottery system built in to these organic scented candles, and so their products were good too, but. It was really this factor, this lottery factor that made like women buy like dozens of these candles. And basically, if you look at the old site, I don't know, maybe you can go to like Time Machine and Google it. Um, all they had was this ticker on the bottom uh, that said, you know, Joanne bought two candles 10 seconds ago. Uh, Lisa bought a candle, blueberry, you know, ocean 20 minutes ago. And it was just all social proof. And then on the product pages, all they had was, you know, there's this candle, it's made of this, here's what it smells like. And then on this, under the fold, it was just all customer reviews, and and these had like dozens and dozens of like five star reviews, and that's all they use uh, to sell the candles. And I think their first year they did like like within like six months they did a million, and in like two years they were doing like ten million. It was something insane, and they're kind of like an outlier story, but I think they're special because they a have a great product and they also built in a great experience kind of within that product too. So so all the social proof and. Special features, were they only on the new site or were they on the old site as well? Yeah, this was on their old Shopify platform site. And I think they had some external apps that just showed these on the store. But basically a big driver for them was also Facebook too. So they, I think their first year they had like 300,000 likes within their first year. And then basically it was people... Uh, taking pictures of their products or making these YouTube videos of them opening the rings and then putting it on their hand and then they're sharing it with their friends like you know like girls like you know they like this pretty stuff they show their friends oh you know this ring looks so pretty and then it kind of just gets liked by all their friends and it grows organically from there so I guess you know they've kind of really nailed it down in the beginning like they had the viral loops the great product and the great uh, shopping experience too that's a wonderful story Basically, because when I do optimizations for a lot of clients and the first thing I go for is the value proposition, yeah, I would try to make sure they have a good value proposition. But basically, the story you related regarding this diamond candles shop basically says that there's some, there are some shops out there that use a totally different angle to, to sell and it totally works. Yeah. What I found is there's no certainty when doing any form of well, e-commerce and conversion optimization. You can't say for certain that if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. So, yeah, and I think that's because you have all these people just landing on your website from different sources, right? And I think to say, you know, I want to, I, I guess, I, there's so many different types of people wondering. And then, you know, until you figure out your target market, I guess it's kind of hard to just test things and say, oh, this is the way you should do it versus another store because each product and each store is different too, right? So it's hard to say, you know, what works for Diamond Candles will work for something else just because it's a different product, you know, different market too. So this is kind of, it's kind of makes it tricky, but I think it makes it fun to uh, hear about too, right? Yes, it does. Can you give us some tips for improving the shopping experience and hence hopefully increase conversions? Yeah, sure. So the number one I have is uh, basically trust is one of the biggest issues online, right? And so I go to all these stores and a lot of them just don't have a great about page or contact us, right? So you basically, some of these stores will just have, hey, we sell leather wallets, uh, you know, we're based in this city and then there's no even picture of you, you know, the, where you get your products, like I have no idea. And it's basically because like, if you think about it, would you invite someone into your house 
And then you go hide in a room and then, you know, you don't even show yourself. And then they're just left wandering around your room, you know, your living room, opening your kitchen, not knowing what to do. Right? And so I think the other thing is like people are really smart now online. You know, they know that even if you don't have a picture, you know, when someone's trying to pretend to be a big company, like it, it looks kind of silly because, you know, if your site just looks like a simple startup and it's very easy to tell with these nuanced design kind of sites now, like you can tell someone that just started out versus a store that's been here for two to three years. Right? There's a certain design element and the shopping experience is a lot different when you go to these sites. So uh, what I tell people is that, look, you know, make just make you know have pictures of yourself you know if you can do a simple video hello from the owner people like this behind the scenes stuff right you remember mtv they used to have mtv cribs right where they go to celebrities houses and they show you the living room their dining room uh, the garage or swimming pool it's kind of like the same thing you want with your store right you want people to show you uh, who you are what you do uh, why where when and how it's kind of the generalistic approach the five w's and the how and so for example you know, I had a listener who sells Bluetooth gear for kind of like stereo gear on his online store, right? And so basically, he was just saying, hey, buy Bluetooth gear from me. And then he had a about page kind of with himself. But I guess the value proposition wasn't that strong. And kind of on his about page, he was just say, hey, you know, Bluetooth gear is awesome. You don't need wire, right? And so what I did with him was kind of there's a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. So we just asked ourselves why five or six times to get to the root of it. So you know, if you think about Bluetooth gear, Bluetooth gives you the freedom to connect to different gadgets within your house, right, wirelessly. So uh, why is that important? Because then you have no wires to fumble around when you connect to your music. And why is that important to have wireless music around? It's because, you know, music makes you, uh, you can enjoy around your house anywhere you go, right? And why is that important? Because music makes you feel good. And really, he was selling the freedom that you get, you know, being able to feel good around your house without any wires and the convenience to have your music accessible anywhere. And so we basically built that into his about page too. And then he had his whole story of how he works at a stereo company and kind of that was the whole thing for him too that we changed. So yeah, about page is probably the number one thing and uh, it's probably the easiest thing to fix too out of everything. A lot of people click the about page, but most people don't spend enough time to actually show their story. Like, like every store I go to and my audience goes to, this is one of the top pages people click. And it's one of the most overlooked things because people usually think it's their products people that look at first, but it's actually people want to find out, okay, who is this guy? Why? Sh what's the story behind this business first before uh, I even take a next step? It's kind of a little different angle, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting angle. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of more like a big picture strategy thing like like it's 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 a more like a building trust thing right because if this is missing you have no picture i don't even know if you're a real business where you're based at like if you even put your address on there or even like a phone number it's like you know how do i know if i'm going to just buy from you and then you'll just disappear right i mean maybe maybe i'm just naturally trusting with but it's more of a you know do you want to uh, risk these conversions when you know an about page contact is really easy to fix right i mean you can do it in like a day, you make some videos, take some pictures, and just upload it. So have you found any concrete results from improving the about page and the contact page? Uh, not with me, but my certainly guests have said yes, but I don't have any exact numbers for you though, so. I've got to test this out. <laughs> yeah. Because the about and the contact page, I mean, I get the point that a lot of visitors will want to know which and what business they are interacting with, who is this guy and why is he selling me stuff. But usually I tend to focus on the product and the benefits of the product and perhaps a guarantee. Yeah, yeah it's, it's strictly from kind of like a more sales marketing angle too, right? 
Yes, but... Okay, that's, that's, that's what you're going at. I guess, well, I'm going to go out and test some about and contact pages. Yeah, I mean, you can just test these products. Like, if you have a product that like you see adding a video of, you know, how this product works, you know, just like an actual, you know, in the video, hey, this is what the product looks like. Here's what you get when you, you know, see it. I mean, it's all stuff that kind of builds within the customer's mind that, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to get and kind of helps with the conversion cycle that way. Now, if you want specific numbers, I mean, that's probably something you'll have to test, but, you know, I'm pretty certain that this will improve it. I'm most certainly going to test it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any other tips? Uh, another one is probably disclosing your shipping price early. So what happens is, uh, you know, what happens is a lot of people, I think the average card abandonment rate in the industry is somewhere from 60 to 75%. And so what happens a lot is uh, people that put their shipping price after they add the cart, what happens is a lot of people, will they, they'll add the cart and then when they go check out, they're like, what? why is the shipping price so high? Right, so the way to kind of counter this uh, is to actually put it on your header. And so what um, you know, some stores that have worked really well is in their header, they have some kind of guarantee, uh, they have the shipping price, and they have like live chat, and they have like a search function. Right? I'll go into these more later. But basically, the shipping prices, you, don't want, you want to be upfront with it because people will, it's very sensitive for most customers. So either you can do like a free shipping or you do orders above $50 uh, free shipping because you want you want them to know this early on rather than after they added a card and go, oh, this is so expensive, I don't want to pay for it. So it's more of a shopping experience conversion thing, uh, but it definitely does play into the whole cart abandonment rate thing. And cart abandonment rate is kind of like a different story. You can have like email campaigns that follow up with this, but, but that's kind of a different story. Free shipping is, well, I found that free shipping is a very big deal because the big players like Amazon are doing free shipping. Yes, and one thing, if you go to, say, Zappos, you look at their header, uh, immediately right next to the cart button, they have the free shipping, 365 days a year, you know, free returns. I mean, instantly, you know that as soon as you add something to your cart. So kind of rather than waiting for you to find out after, you know, you know immediately right when you start shopping, and then you can then shop throughout the store knowing that, you know, you get free shipping. And it's, I think it's, it just makes a better shopping experience disclosing this up front rather than you know later in the back end when they check out and they're like oh do i really want this do i need this and stuff like that yep exactly okay and a third one that i've heard uh that's really good is uh, the search bar on the header so uh these i re recently stumbled upon this one uh, kind of in the last uh, month or two or so. so basically these came from stores that have been in business for three to four years plus, and they say this is a gold mine because one, uh, when someone is searching internally on your store, it usually means they are already looking for something rather than on Google where they are looking for a general product, right? So if they're already in your store, they're already thinking about buying this thing. And what happens is a lot of these search results you get in your internal search bar uh, can be used to do product ideas in the future. And constantly it shows you what's in high demand too. So what happened was uh, one store owner I talked to, they sell... Uh, kind of band t-shirts, Metallica, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, all these kind of band gear. Right? And what they had was they built into the system where uh, if search volume within the internal store trended up, the uh, kind of carousel on the main page would automatically rotate those products into the carousel images. So basically, say if Metallica is touring in Australia in two months, uh, everyone starts searching for Metallica t-shirts, and then basically their code would, was able to put the categories up front uh, for higher conversions that way. So so this is not a personalized experience kind of thing. It's more of... It's, it's like a convenience tool. 
but also s- lets you know what people are searching for within your store. So you can also then kind of you get some inventory control. You can kind of get a for- better forecast based kind of on this demand uh, in- insight. The search bar optimization is an area which I feel there's a lot of growth potential and I've been keeping my eye out for a good solution. But what I found is a lot of the smaller stores, they don't have the resources to custom code such a feature. Yeah. Very interesting feature would be something like auto-suggest, which is has been come to which many people have come to expect because on Google you have an auto-suggest. Yeah, and kind of like Amazon like the you might like this and that thing too, right? Is that what you're talking about? Um, yes, and also when you type in the parcel search, it shows you some related suggestions. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's a bit like, tricky to implement. Yeah, and one thing that uh, one owner that worked really well was that he had a search bar. I think he's trying to make a search bar that follows you as you scroll down the fold, so it'll stay on the top, very top of your browser. So basically the search bar... Uh, it follows you around as soon as you go, you know, away from the main page. So you can always just go in there and just search, uh, whatever. So yeah, that should be something interesting to follow. And so I think one more that resonates really well is to also just build an email list. And so this is kind of goes into the more marketing side. But basically, what's uh, the store owners, um, some store owners that worked really well is that they have a uh, email list, you know, subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get a 10% discount code. And this is usually works really well because A, uh, once they opt in, you know, they're actually going to use the code and you can track if they do or not based on your uh, e-commerce system backend or the code you generate. And then, you know, once you know what they buy, a uh, kind of a long-term strategy is that now you have the contact info, right? Because one thing that people hate doing is they, they hate forcing to create a username or an account to check out, like that's that pisses people off. And I think people don't like to spend time registering on different, you know, platforms. So basically, once you build an email list, you get their email info to contact them that way. You know, later on, future newsletter, uh, new products, you know, discounts, special sales. You can always get them to come back again. And it's more of, I guess, like a long-term lifetime value thing rather than a short-term conversions thing. But I think this is a big thing that uh, anyone in the e-commerce space should keep in mind too. I have a different opinion on that. Usually when I do the first round of tests, yeah. I tend to recommend that we test removing the newsletter. Really? And how does that work out? Well, usually for a lot of e-commerce stores that I do work with, they are smaller businesses. Uh-huh. So I tend to do what is called a complete funnel split test. So I test essentially one version of the website against another. Mm-hmm. And we focus on stuff like value proposition, friction, and anxiety. Oh, so you're looking at the strict, once they go on the website, the funnel in terms of the buying on the website and you remove yes. other elements that are kind of distracting, right? So there is a danger, if you think intuitively, that someone will opt in on the on the site yeah, and they will go away and never come back. Or you might be able to get them back. But basically, when this is especially true for people who come in through PPC traffic and SEO traffic. So it really depends on the buyer intent. That's true, so yeah. if you are very certain that the people came who who landed on this landing page came in from PPC and or SEO, and you know that th- these are buyer key terms, for example, buy blue widget, I would test not having that newsletter and because they are already ready to buy. Mm-hmm. So I guess it depends. Yeah. So for less motivated visitors, I would definitely test having a newsletter because you can market them again and again. Yeah. But I guess the other side is that, you know, if they do buy, you know, wouldn't you want a way to contact them so they can buy again in the future too, right? I mean, 
I mean, it's just the other side of it. Not that it's wrong or anything, but you know, I guess kind of in a more long-term approach. Oh, you mean uh, having new status for bias? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Definitely. In fact, uh, I would test pre-checking the box. Some people are a bit uncomfortable with. Uh, usually, when you check out on some of the major platforms, there's this little box that says "subscribe to our newsletter." Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's, I think the best way to go is usually to just leave it unchecked rather than ch- subscribe by default. Because I think some people do get pissed off because uh, they don't because they don't pay attention when they check out, right? So, so yeah, I, I see your point now. Yeah, you think you're right. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I guess it depends on depends on your site and what you're selling and. I guess your relationship with the visitor and with the potential customer. Yeah. I guess if they trust you, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's safe to say, you know, if they bought from you again, I mean, if they already bought from you, it's safe to say that they wouldn't mind hearing from you once in a while. That's a pretty safe assumption. Well, just on that, um, finding, I would actually treat that newsletter not like a newsletter. I would be more inclined to treat it like customer service. Yeah. So if you're selling a product, for example, that has some sort of, it's a consumable, for example, it would make a lot of sense to have, let's say, an automated email that goes out X days after the customer has consumed the product to remind them that, hey, you know, you have run out of my product, please come back and buy more and we might give you a discount for being a loyal customer and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Or you could just, you know, say, "Hey, how what was your shopping experience like? You know, why did you buy?" And then you can take that feedback and work it into your sales copy and all this other stuff too, right? So, yep, definitely, definitely try to collect the email after a purchase. Yeah, exactly. So one one thing that kind of back to the diamond candles example, I think what they did that was interesting was that on their email list they gave you a code. I think it was like ten percent discount. But after that, once in a while they would send out these coupons where. Uh, you know, if you refer a friend to buy like two candles, we'll give you one candle for free. And these are already people that bought candles, so they had a kind of an incentive to pass this to their friends, and kind of it kind of organically grew their business that way too. And then they would just give a free candle to whoever you know sent the email originally. So it's kind of interesting how you know they approached email this way rather than just kind of like a traditional customer service uh, newsletter type of approach. I think most people tend to do. Well, I'd like to just chat a bit more about this whole concept where people have to register and when they check out. Do you find that this is very common across most of the platforms? Uh, most people don't do that now, but I've heard, uh, you know, just from talking to Shopify, big commerce, these guys, you know, when they force people to do it, uh, it just it does add to card abandonment because, you know, people, you know, I guess people are kind of lazy when they're online and, once they've decided to buy something, they just want to get things, you know, they want to get through checkout quick and they want to just, you know, get their shipping quick too. So would you register for like something if you had to like just buy it one time or maybe twice? I mean, <laughs> I mean, personally, I wouldn't do it unless it was this really product I really wanted, right? But I mean, do you want this? I think I think you just think there's more downside than upside forcing people to register. Unless it was like a say, like say, like a three hundred dollar, four hundred dollar high high price product, but for something that's like you know twenty dollars under a hundred, I think it's just you know it's not a good idea to make people register. Okay, well, in my opinion, it depends on the the motivation of the visitor. Yeah. So I always bring up this example: if you have found this magical pill and it's the cure for cancer, for example, and if you just pop the pill, you're going to be cured like immediately. 
uh, miraculously. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the visitors looking for this kind of product and they come on your site and they find, find like, wow, this works. Uh, assuming that it really works, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you throw all these obstacles in the way of the visitor and the potential prospect. They're going to buy anyway because basically you have what they want. And assuming it's a unique product, so it doesn't matter. So if the, when the visitors are highly motivated, they will jump through as many hoops as possible to get the product. Yeah, yeah. and this is this is, a, this is on a big assumption that your product is something they absolutely want, right? Which is, which kind of just you know, for, for me, it's kind of a big gamble. But I mean, I, I, it does make sense because I guess you know the question asked is: Is your product and value proposition is it like a vitamin or aspirin? Right? Is it something good to have or something you must have? And I think if it's something you must have, I mean, certainly someone will go to different lanes to buy this product. But well, I'm going to come up with a more realistic example then. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all these gurus, they're saying they'll make money online yeah, yeah, yeah. products and they have this landing page and sometimes they reveal their conversion rates. It'll be like 40%, 80%. And it's huge numbers who opt into the product and, and buy their product. So, well, I think it's impressive, but... I think people forget that before this person opted in on this page to buy the product, uh, before that, there was a lot of lean nurturing, a lot of relationship building before they before they got to this landing page. So by the time they hit the landing page, these visitors are so motivated that it doesn't matter like how many times you have to opt in. You know, Sometimes it's like a very expensive product. They are already yeah. highly motivated, so it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing about info products and these kind of gurus thing is that info products, you know, fundamentally they're, they're they're different from physical products in the sense that physical products you get it in the mail, right? But info product usually they're like some guide tutorial that promises X Y Z, right? And you actually have to take action after that. They're kind of like I guess in some ways selling a promise of a result, whereas I think a physical product, you know, you're actually expecting something different. But but I see what you mean though. How the lead nurturing is much more built in uh, for that side. So. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, you should not take a look at the conversion rate of that part of the funnel in isolation. Rather, you should look at the front to end, what was done before the visitor landed on the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're talking about the info product side or kind of as a physical products? In general, I guess if the reason why registration becomes a problem is because, well, first of all, it's it's a frictional element. Induces it creates friction in the conversion process, so that's something we don't want. But that said, if we can create or help the visitor have more motivation to buy the product, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I guess it's a friction when there isn't enough value that justifies getting past that friction, right? That's exactly. What say. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so I guess, so I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess we can say, you know. You hundred percent don't do it. You know, hundred percent don't do it. It's just, I guess, if you have the right value, you know, to get them to sign up. I mean, it could make sense too, right? The only reason why I'm bringing this up is because I find a lot of e-commerce shop owners where they so-called force or make it very difficult for the visitor not to register. They are still making good money, and it sometimes it's not their fault. It's a lot of the hosted platforms they don't have any good way of disabling this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like I think Shopify still goes through their backend for the sh- checkout. Like if you're on like, you know, bigleathershoes.com, your checkout actually goes to like cdn.shopify.com slash 
like some page, and then you check out through there back in there. So I guess the on the hosted card platform, I guess kind of the checkout experience, it can't be as optimized as say if you're on like Magento or something. Exactly. Personally, I when I split test this part of the checkout, I always have a lot of difficulty trying to essentially hack the system to try to pre-check some boxes or make the guests check out the default and it's really hard so i wish like shops would just do away with that actually it makes no sense yeah because because from a converter role you want to be able to tweak everything in the whole funnel right or at least you have the flexibility to change this and change that whereas kind of the back end is tied to someone else you know, it kind of like if, if that's like a factor that's you know lowering conversions, it's kind of like out of your hands, right? I think the issue is it just does not make any sense. So the real real world example of doing something like this would be you go to a supermarket, maybe you want to buy um, a liter of milk, for example, and you go to the checkout and yeah. the cashier tells you, well, to buy this product now you have to sign up with us you know give us your name address contact number credit card number and you you have to create an account with us and only after you do that then you can buy our product that simply doesn't make sense at all and i have no idea why shops are set up by default this way it's really weird yeah exactly but, but i guess i guess some supermarkets at least in the u.s they say hey you know they have a special price for if you join the membership right it's like yeah every product is like 10 percent cheaper and then when they check out, they were like, hey, do you want to sign up for, you know, our club card? And then and then you can decide yes or no. But if you say no, they actually save on the receipt how much you saved if you do sign up. That's like $30 out of like a $200 purchase. And I guess that's kind of like what we said earlier, you know, do you have the right value to get entice someone to sign up too, right? But I think, you know, like you said, if you just have a blank, you know, sign up, force people to sign up offering no value, I, I think it's a bad idea. I think Amazon does that a lot when you sign up or when you check on their site. They say that like when you sign up for this co-branded credit card, you get a discount. Or another example is their Amazon Prime program. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, there's, you can be creative with this too. Like there's no right, and, right or wrong way too, right? So it's kind of what makes kind of e-commerce exciting. I think kind of uh, with what's online now because... Anyway, it's, the whole industry is what, say, less than 20 years old, really. And so, I mean, we're only kind of just tip of the iceberg here with everyone being able to have their own platforms and their own stores. So, so what is your top tip for increasing conversions on websites? I, I guess it's more of like a mindset tip to convert. So basically, I would say put yourself in your customer's shoes kind of when they're on your website. I think a lot of store owners, because you're so close to your business, uh, you know, you know, do they know what makes your store different than someone else? Does the customer know this? Or do you think they know this, right? And I think kind of to tie a bigger picture, it helps to have someone like yourself or a third party who isn't close to the business every day just to give you an outside view on your store to, you know, poke some holes on your value proposition, kind of what you're offering, you know, your whole story about the whole business to see if it actually resonates well kind of with different people. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing I think, you know, just have empathy for a customer and, you know, put yourself in their shoes to kind of to start. That's a great tip. So I would recommend that website owners that are interested in doing something like that actually conduct some usability testing on their site. It's really helpful for understanding what happens when a visitor goes through your shopping experience? Yeah, I mean, one thing someone you just you know show your website to a friend and just stand behind him, watch how he interacts with your store. 
you know, kind of what he clicks, you know, just, I mean, not that your friend will represent everyone, but at least you kind of get an idea after you show it to like, you know, 20 friends, you'll see some things that overlap and then you can kind of get some initial feedback from there too, or qualitative feedback too. So, so could you tell me a bit more about your podcast? Yeah, sure. So the podcast uh, is published every Sunday. Uh, every week we feature uh, either a e-commerce entrepreneur or someone within the industry that can provide some insights on how to run an online store. So uh, we're up to about, I think, 50 episodes soon. So a uh, very cool show. Uh, if you're in the e-commerce field, you should check it out. Uh, we're, uh, I think, in the top 20 management and marketing store in the U.S. on iTunes. So yeah, all real stories, real businesses, and uh, real stories, lessons, and advice for you to check out. And you can find uh, more about the show at buildmyonlinestore.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at it's me, Terry Lin, or shoot me an email, uh, Terry, at buildmyonlinestore.com. Okay, I guess that's it. Uh, thank you for coming on the show again. Yeah, no problem. Nice to talk to you, Francis. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think. 